Hi, and welcome to Being Lutheran, a podcast dedicated to proclaiming the excellencies of Jesus Christ and the biblical theology expressed in the Lutheran Confessions. Today, Pastor Jason Goodham, Pastor Brett Bowe, and Pastor Adam Osher continue their discussion on Article 21 of the Augsburg Confession. Being Lutheran is sponsored by Fly Beyond, the AFLC Youth Ministries event for equipping teens for their vocational callings in the local congregation, not just for tomorrow, but also for today. This year's camp, Upwards, runs from July 17th through the 21st. Register at aflc.org backslash youth. Welcome to the Being Lutheran Podcast. I am Pastor Brett Bowe, and I'm joined by... Pastor Jason Goodham. And Pastor Adam Osier. And we're going to have a little bit of a Sonfest to start our episode today as we continue our discussion on the Augsburg Confession, Article 21, the Cult of Saints, now presenting... Would you hit the pitch for me, Brett? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, can, you, can you handle this a cappella, Adam? Can you do that? Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm definitely yes. not going to sing this, because nothing will be as beautiful from my lips, like Kyrie Eleison was. Yeah, you've already done <laughs> but, it. But yeah, as, as we were talking about last week, the the conversation about saints and what they are there for, what good are they then, as we look back to the saints and, and their help, one of the songs that kept coming into my mind, and I didn't sing, you're welcome listeners, was the traditional hymn for all the saints. And we, we used to sing that at our church that I was a pastor at every All Saints Day, you know, every All um Every All Saints Day, every All Saints Sunday, whatever was the closest. And we would sing that to open, and we'd sing it at a lot of funerals as well. Beautiful hymn. I have a hard time. Actually, if I did sing it, I'd probably choke up and start crying. And I'd have a hard time reading it, too, because some of the, my very closest friends, we sang this at their funeral. But uh, one of the lines in there is, um, it starts off, For all the saints who from their labors rest, who thee by faith before the world confessed, Thy name, O Jesus, be forever blessed. Alleluia. Thou wast their rock and their might. Thou, Lord, their captain in the well-fought fight. Thou, in the darkness, dread their one true light. Alleluia. And then there's this line, and this is one that I really resonate with. It says, And when the fight is fierce, the warfare long, steals on the ear the distant triumph song, and hearts are brave again, and arms are strong. Alleluia. And, and that picture of that, that distant triumph song of the saints who've gone before, knowing that they are coming on the heels of our Lord. They are, he is coming with those who've gone before. And you can hear, if you're quiet and you listen, and you can, you can see the, that trail of faith as we look through our ancestors, through our history of, of the church. And we see that trail of saints and they're coming. And when, when it seems, and, and we see this in our world today, I look around, we've seen in the last couple of years, we've seen what pestilence, we've seen famine, we've seen war, we've seen all these things. And, and it's just a reiteration, a lot of the brokenness of this world. But then when we get worn out, we can listen, we can put our ear to the ground and we can hear the battle is coming. The battle is coming and will be won. And we can hear that in the, in the testimony of the saints who've gone before, who are with the Lord. Beautiful picture of what saints are good for, right? Alleluia, Alleluia. <laughs> there you are. Had to get it. Had to get it in. All right. Sorry, listener. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty well on key. Uh, with no pitch, I did well with it. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, uh, I'm thankful you guys don't come for uh, musical quality. Come for the theology. Yeah. Stay, stay for the for theology. The... Don't leave because of the music. Yes. There you go. <laughs> you guys told me I was here for my good looks. We were. That's why you're on radio. That's yes. it. Oh, there we are. Face okay. radio. 
Uh, good. Well, we're picking up our conversation from last time as we've been talking about the cult of saints. And uh, you know, I think, Jason, you were talking, uh, I don't know if it was in the break or just a little bit in the last episode of just not really having a, a desire to to pick on Catholics with this or... Um, <laughs> Yeah, call, go for, go with from there. Call this an uncharitable observation. I don't intend it to be uncharitable for the purposes of being uncharitable. But this is one of those topics in Rome in the Roman Catholic annals of history where there is so much material. You can cherry pick whatever you want to say and say, no, we don't worship the saints. Yes, we do worship the saints. No, we don't worship Mary. Yes, Mary is the co-redeemer. All of those things. And, and it's just a fight we don't need to have because of the principles that are there. All we can do right now... And I think the value for the modern listener or reader of the Book of Concord or whomever it may be is to look at what the Lutherans in the 1500s were responding to, what the Roman Catholics said in defense of that in the confutation, and then we can look and see where those threads and those applications still exist in the modern church of today, and especially generic American Christianity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, let's let's go there to the the confutation here. I don't think we talked about that last time, but uh, what was the confutation? And and uh, as you said, Jason, what can we uh, pick from that to uh, to f- strengthen the the discussion here as we look at this topic? So the Roman confutation, and oftentimes uh, Roman Catholics will say it's unfair. Uh, to use the confutation as the response to the Augsburg Confession, uh, it is and it isn't. Um, in reality, the more official response to Lutheran dogmatics would be the Council of Trent, which happened over the course of months and years right after Luther died. That that was adopted as official Roman Catholic doctrine. The confutation was the official response of the emperor's camp and the papacy after the Augsburg Confession was submitted. And now the problem with the Roman confutation is terrible theology. Uh, most even Roman Catholic scholars will acknowledge that. <laughs> and, and it was it was delivered... Not our best moment. <laughs> yeah, not our best moment. Uh, it was delivered to the Lutherans under terms of duress, which means that when it was delivered after the presentation of the Augsburg Confession, it was delivered under the conditions that it was not recorded... Um, it was not made available in print, and that whatever the confutation demanded, the Lutherans needed to receive and accept unconditionally. And of course, they're not going to do that. And so they they had several kind of scribal uh, people present who scribbled down as many notes as possible. And what you get is the Roman or the the Roman confutation is the document that the apology to the Augsburg Confession is based off of. And the apologies mm-hmm. kind of works almost like a like a commentary Mm -hmm. on the Augsburg Confession. So, you know, in the same way that we have the small catechism and then the large catechism expands on that, you have the Augsburg Confession and then the apology expands on that and and gives a lot more direct and um, scriptural argumentation. Uh, The Augsburg Confession is a confession, and, and there is scripture in the Augsburg Confession, but I, I think I just heard a pastor teaching on this last month, actually, that of all the documents in, uh, in the Book of Concord, the Augsburg Confession has the highest percentage of scriptural quotes. Hmm. 
that we're taking cool. we're taking our confession and now we're taking it back to the source and the norm and yeah. the authority and say this is where we get it from. Right. That, that reminds me of our interview with James Mulstrey a while back. Uh, maybe when we first started talking about the Augsburg Confession, yeah, well, that was many a couple years ago. ago. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Anyway, but I remember him talking about using this as like a Bible study yep. you know, where you're, you're going to the scriptural passages as you walk through it. And, and that's why we're not doing a separate unit on the apology, that, that what we're doing, just like we did all the material on the catechisms was in tandem, small and large catechism yep. together, in tandem, the Augsburg Confession and the apology mm-hmm. together. Yeah, that's a good way to read them. Yeah. Good. Well, yeah, where, where do we want to take this discussion here? I mean, there's a lot of... Uh, you know, as we think about uh, this idea, and like I mentioned before, you know, the kind of your typical Lutheran church member will have no issue with wrestling with, it's almost like a given, like, of course, we pray to Jesus. and uh, But there are other modern applications to this that uh, we can think about, and, and maybe it isn't packaged in the exact same way as it was, you know, 500-ish years ago. But uh, guys, what are some modern ways that uh, this type of thing might be happening in the church? Well, I think you know, as we talked a little bit about it, uh, you know, in, in between our, our episodes and at different times, we, we hear as pastors sometimes that we are the ones people want praying for them. And because of some position that we have or some clout that we might have before the Almighty because of our position or, or ordination status or something along those lines. And you see people coming, will, will you pray for me? And I think that there's that's okay. It's absolutely okay and right for our parishioners to want prayer and to come to us and ask us to pray for them. But it's not okay when they think that they can't. Right. It's Mm -hmm. not okay when they think that they can't go and that the Lord hears me better than they hear them, because that's not how it works. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's, you know, I joke with my family at times, especially now, you know, my grandpa died when I was 12 and now I'm the the official prayer. Yeah. Prayer. -er. I'm a professional prayer now, (laughs) you know, and kind of bust their chops about that. And on on my wife's side of the family, we, you know, her father's a pastor. So I I get a little bit of a a respite there. And and now I'm the associate prayer. Yeah. I'm the associate prayer. (laughs) I I haven't uh, been promoted yet, but there, there is that sense that pastors have special access to God. And, and we, we got to be careful how we talk about that, because in the one sense, we are ambassadors and, and we are called by our congregations to be that ambassadors. And so it is our good pleasure, uh, especially was the case before COVID, but now we're easing back into it. Well, one of the, my most very favorite things that I did as a pastor was hospital visits, where you would sit down and you would pray with someone in, in an unexpected or uh, you know a, a tragic situation uh, for those who are dying. Uh, you would often sing hymns with them and, and talk about their faith. All of that is well and good, and we we want to, and, and we are trained to make ourselves available for that. But when that comes at the expense of someone thinking they don't have access to God, or they have access to God in a different degree or a lesser degree, that needs to be combated and challenged. Uh, and, and that's a time where you can uh, kind of lovingly scold someone for missing the point of what being a pastor is versus being a Christian. And we also want to take time to do that. 
I think the important thing to remember too is that as pastors, we don't represent ourselves. We don't go to Jesus and say, hey, hey, you know, Brett needs a little help here. You know, we are actually being the mouthpiece of Jesus. We're, we're declaring what he's declared. Simpl- you know, we're not declaring our own message, our own promises. We're not declaring our own forgiveness. We're simply declaring what the Lord has declared. And that's something to be re- reminded of as well. Not that because I went there. No, but because God says this. He says it right, right here. It's in his word. And oftentimes, uh, and, and you guys can speak to this as well, when I do, it's quote unquote, and you know I hate this term, pastoral counseling. Uh, but when I do discipleship with people in my congregation or people who know me as a pastor, when it comes to declaring the will of God in the word of God, I do so confidently and firmly. But when it comes to I'm working with someone on some pattern of behavior or something they want to develop, and I'm at the point where I'm just giving them good advice, I will often preface that with, this is just my take on things. If it doesn't work for you, throw it out the window. Leave it alone. This isn't the word of God. This isn't, thus saith the Lord. This yeah, exactly. Thus saith Goodham. Yeah. I hope you don't say that when you're doing it, because no, right? no. that would be weird. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, because, uh, I mean, Jason, you could become a, a celebrity Christian pastor. Oh, heavens. Uh, you know, I after all, I was runner-up in the pastor dad <laughs> bracket of the Lutheran Twitter championships. That's true, yeah. I, I made it to the quarterfinals. Yeah, who, who is this? I don't know, Caleb Waite. Pastor Caleb yeah. Waite beat me out to Shout get into out. the semis against Lisa Cooper, So, yeah. and he throttled me. It wasn't even close. Yeah, he beat me yeah. by a good 20 points. Just, despite your best efforts to uh, have your My worst episodes. videos. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know, Jason. I would actually go to great lengths to make you a famous pastor just to watch you be so uncomfortable. Be, watch me melt down. Yeah, and watch you <laughs> see what happens. You'd be, you'd be like Mark Driscoll. be yelling at your congregation. And I, I just... It'd be ugly. The burnout would be glorious and bright and brief. (laughs) It would just be... Flames would be hot. Uh, but but that, that's kind of a great transition to where this... Good job, Adam. Into nice what? segue. Into, nice segue. Yeah. Yeah, into celebrity Christian culture. You yeah. know, yeah. We've, talked, yeah. we've talked at times about the dangers of celebrity pastors. Sure. But I, th- I think in general, our addiction to celebrity Christians kind of feeds off of what was happening 500 years yeah. ago in these... It's, it's like a modern expression of, of yep. that same... Inclination to yeah, do that? these pillars of the faith, and, and 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 sometimes the celebrity Christians are earnest and and aren't striving after that, and sometimes they are. You know, everyone knows Billy Graham, and, and there are parts of his theology that we would absolutely reject as Lutherans and pick apart, but no one can deny the good that Billy Graham did simply by doing what he was called to do for the kingdom, right? Mm-hmm. But I, I think of, you know, the, the hubbub in Christianity when someone like Kanye uh, <laughs> publicly becomes a Christian. Yeah. You know, Chick-fil-A! You know, yeah. it's... <laughs> Sorry, I ruin this every time. <laughs> wow, you said Kanye, and all I yeah. think of is Chick-fil-A closed on Sunday. you my Chick-fil-A. Yeah, my Chick-fil-A. You know, anyway, go ahead, Jason. Back to your celebrity pastor ways. Yeah, well, it's... It, there's wings of Christianity that somehow feel validated when a celebrity joins our team. Right. You know, and, and, and you know, I, you know, just to jump in a little here, I, I think the, the desire to say something like that is almost like a, a sense that we don't believe the gospel is powerful enough to, to exactly. be on its, on its own, uh, that we need something else to, uh, 
you know, shine the light on, on Christ in, in some way. Well, and, and we have to be careful even here too, because insofar yeah. that they are biblical and orthodox in their confession of faith, we would admit that a celebrity will probably reach more people with you know, just even simple expressions of the gospel than the three of us combined times 10. On Twitter. Yeah. You know, yeah. you tweet in one tweet about the gospel, uh, you know, so one promise of God from, you know, the, the Twitter account of a famous person hits how many, right? Well, exactly. Yeah. There was, there was something that happened and maybe Brett, you saw this two, three months ago, someone tweeted at Mark Hamill that he could just announce that he took his garbage out or something like that, and it would get 150,000 <laughs> likes. And so he did exactly that, and it got 150,000 likes. I mean, it's, it's, it's just one of those things. Celebrities are cooler than normal people, right? And so the, the impact that a celebrity Christian can have, we, we should respect that yeah. and, and be grateful for it. I mean, Chris Pratt has had opportunities sure. to preach the gospel uh, where you know, other people would not have those opportunities. And so we're aware of that. But what we want to caution is allowing these celebrity Christians to replace the gospel in our yeah, lives, right. that our faith is validated not by the God-man who was crucified and rose again, but is validated by a famous person agreeing with us. Right. Yeah, I, th I think this is from the Apology. Uh, they say... When other mediators are sought in addition to Christ and confidence is put in others, the entire knowledge of Christ is hindered. And that kind of uh, plays into what you're, you're talking about there. Well, and, and, and I think the flip side is really where this reaches pay dirt as far as what we're teaching, because, you know, a lot of people might say we're being curmudgeonly and pumping the brakes on famous people and whatever. But what you see people having panic when one of these famous celebrity Christians walks away from the faith. And people having real crises of faith because this famous pastor or that famous celebrity rejected Christianity to a chorus of applause and celebration from the other side, right? You know, I want to say this doesn't have to just be famous people either. Right. This doesn't just have to be, you know, scandalized when all of a sudden Ravi Zacharias falls or Mark Driscoll goes through his meltdown or or Joshua Harris becomes an atheist. We don't have to necessarily look at that. We do the same thing, don't we, with people that are close to us, somebody maybe nobody else knows about, but somebody who's influential in your life for the gospel. And then all of a sudden they fall and you're scandalized. And what what it what in that moment we have to understand is that it points us when in those moments, if we are, if our faith is shaken in that, we have to ask the question, what is our faith in? What is the object of our faith? And, and I think just like with the cult of the saints or with the, with these celebrity pastors, or even just the more obscure people that you look to, who are you looking to, to save you? Who are you looking for, for hope? And, and I think ultimately what's going to come down to every time when we're scandalized or struggling with this, or I don't know if St. Michael heard me, or I don't know if, you know, now what about Ravi Zacharias? What about my dad who was leading me to Christ? And all of a sudden, boom, he falls. And, and what, what now? Ultimately, I think these are good reminders to point us to the fact that we don't look to anyone but Jesus. We, don't, we can't look to anybody but Jesus. And part of that, too, is you said we look to people for salvation, look to people for hope. I think where it happens the most is we look to people for assurance. 
and, mm. and comfort, right? And and that's where it 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 rears its head, and, and we have to we as pastors need to make sure we're not perpetuating that culture, but but it really raises the stakes for how often we're pointing to Christ, mm. mm-hmm. and, and and the yep. temptation in modern American Christianity is that the gospel is old hat and that it's rote and that mm. we should be preaching about something other than Jesus, and and no, the point is we need to be preaching about Jesus because how often our sinful nature wants to turn to something other than Jesus. And we will chase after a personality. We will chase after a friendship. We will chase after a relationship. We will chase after literally anything but Jesus, because this is how Satan and the world and our own sinful flesh will entice us away from what God has given us. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, good good stuff, guys. Uh well, we, we should probably start to land the plane here uh, as we wrap up uh, talking about the Augsburg Confession, Article 21. Um, any other closing comments as we tie up uh, any loose ends here? Well, I just think that, that there's this a really clear tension that we've established now. And, and we've, we've mentioned several times that Lutheran theology is all about finding the tension and living there. On the one hand, uh, modern American Christianity has rejected when it ought not to have rejected being thankful for the saints, following the example of the saints, uh, using saints to establish and inform our own vaca- vocations. Oh, I can't believe I did that. <laughs> establish our vacations. Vacation. That would, vacation. Yeah. Oh, wait a second. That would be vocation. the Billy Graham cruise lines, establish your vacation. Uh, no, but you can use the saints for that. We should not reject yeah. church history or the traditions of the church because hashtag that too Catholic. On the other side, we need to maintain that tension of of knowing that our faith boils down to Jesus Christ and him crucified, that our faith boils down to what Jesus has given to us, what Jesus has done for us, what Jesus has done in our place, and that if anything else threatens the foundation of our faith, we need to repent of that and put our hope back in the gospel. Yep. Yep. Amen. Yeah, and shout out to church history, isn't that? Shout out. Yeah. Way to be, church history, yeah. <laughs> well, and two, I don't know if we've mentioned this, but even studying the life of martyrs and studying oh. uh, the life of, uh, you know, it's a fruitful thing to read and study uh, the lives of those gone before. Shout yeah. out to someone who doesn't listen to the podcast, but Bre- uh, Pastor Brian Wolfmuller, uh, you can go to wolfmuller.co. He wrote a book about the saints and the usefulness of the saints uh, to live a Christian. Yeah. I can't remember the name of it. But it's available on his website free as a PDF to download. Highly recommend looking through that. You're going to learn so much and be so blessed from the research he's done. Good. Thank you for joining us. Please look us up on the web at beinglutheran.com. Also invite a friend to check us out on Spotify and iTunes. Please join us next week as Pastor Jason, Pastor Brett, and Pastor Adam continue their discussion on Article 21 of the Augsburg Confession. For the latest from the Free Lutheran Bible College and Seminary in Plymouth, Minnesota, visit flbc.edu. God bless you and have a great week.